Hi, my name is Mike Herbster. I'm privileged to be the director of Southland Christian Camp Ministries. For over 25 years, Southland has centered itself around the ministry of preaching. We believe that God uses the foolishness of preaching to convict hearts and transform lives. Our prayer is that today's sermon would push you to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. As you listen, would you carefully evaluate your life in light of God's Word and take the appropriate action to grow in your walk with Him? We hope that you will enjoy today's message. I love camp. It's one of my favorite places to be, um, especially in the middle of the summer in hot, humid Louisiana. Can I get an amen? Amen. All right. Yeah, that was a lie. We all know it. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Um, You know, camp's great. And and frankly, when you come to camp, there are usually three different types of people that come to camp. Um, Typically, there's the person that shows up to camp and their mom packed their suitcase for them. Okay. This is the person. Their mom did that. How many of you would admit? Yep, that's me. Mom packed my suitcase. All right, good. At least we have some honest people in the room. You know, these are the people that usually you have your name written all over everything, all your underwear and socks. Your mom, like, spray-painted your name on your socks. You know, it's just, I mean, it's everywhere. You can't lose this person if you do. They forget who they are. It's right there on their name tag. Um, But there's another person that comes to camp. It's a different type of person. Typically, this is a guy. Sometimes it can be a girl, but usually it's not. And this is the guy that shows up to camp, and he's way, way underprepared. You know what I'm talking about? This is the guy. You don't have to raise your hand. You don't have to admit this. This is not something. You can plead the fifth. Um, but this would be a guy that shows up, and all he's got in his suitcase is a toothbrush, all right? And uh, he shows up. He doesn't have any deodorant. He doesn't have any, uh, uh, he doesn't have any shampoo. He doesn't have any body wash. doesn't have any of that. And all he has is a toothbrush, but don't worry. He's not even going to use it all week anyway. So um, that's all he's got, and you know, not even toothpaste to, to do it with. This is the guy. Some of you are looking around. You're like, yeah, I can smell this person. He's sitting right next to me right now. Uh, and that's, you know, that's that kind of person. But then there's a third type of person that comes to camp. Now, this usually isn't a guy, although it can be. Typically, if it is, it's like a junior hire. But, um, uh, but this is usually a girl in this situation. And this type of person is the person that shows up to camp and they're way, way, way overprepared. All right. This is the person who has like bug spray and I mean, 50 different kinds of insecticide because there ain't going to be no bugs in my cabin. You know what I mean? This, this, is, the, this is the person that they when they come to camp, I mean, they've got just everything you could ever imagine. Like, they've got uh, safety scissors, and they've got, like, paracord in case they get stuck in a ravine somewhere. I mean, they've got, like, like uh, water purification tablets with them. And don't forget, for the girls, they have a giant bag of shoes. Now, I don't know, I don't know why you would need to have 20 different pairs of shoes with you at camp. You know, you're like, well, I got my shoes that I wear to church to church services, and then I got my shoes that I wear for the competitions, and then I got my mud game shoes, and then I have my shoes that I wear when I'm just hanging out with my friends and I want to look cool. You know, I got those two. And then I've got my heels, but I don't really ever wear those during the week because it's too muddy outside. And then I've got, you know, and they just list all these crazy different types of things. Now, this is the person that there's like, you know, you know if you have this person in your cabin right now because there's literally one buck in your cabin that's completely consumed with luggage. There's not even a person, or there was a person maybe under there. I mean, they haven't come out in three days. They've just got luggage piled over top of them. Camp's a great place. You know, some great things happen at camp. Great things happen. Spiritual decisions. How many of you this week, you'd be honest, and you'd say, Brother John, I made a decision of some kind this week already. Would you raise your hand? Amen. Praise the Lord. That's great. That's wonderful. Uh, Some of you make spiritual decisions. I I know that some of the best spiritual decisions I ever made in my life, I made at camp. Spiritual decisions happen at camp. 
Other good things happen at camp. You get to spend some time with your friends, maybe get to know your youth pastor a little bit better, maybe make new friends. And uh, some of you are like, nah, I don't make new friends, bro. I just, I just hang out in the corner by myself. I'm not talking to people. What are you talking about? Some of you, maybe <clears throat> this week you've fallen in love. It's happened. You know what I'm talking about? You're out there. You're, uh, you're playing big ball. And you look over and you see this pretty girl on the side of the, side of the big ball thing. And you're like, she's the one, dude. And right about that time, the big ball flies and just crutches you right in the face. I mean, just totally wipes you out. Good things happen at camp. Hey, it could happen. You're laughing right now, but it could happen. Some of you, some not so good things happen at camp. Sometimes there's injuries. I remember going to a large camp, and I remember when I was a teenager, I looked at somebody, my buddy that I was with, we were doing tube tug, and I said, dude, we're never going to see these people again. We can just like elbow them in the face and stuff. And there were broken noses that week. Now, you don't do that, okay? I did not give you permission to elbow anybody in the face, all right? I'm a referee. I will call you out, okay? Um, but uh, other bad things that happen at camp are pranks. No, no, no. Those are not good things that happen at camp. Those are in the bad things list, all right? Some of you are getting way too excited. They're in the bad things list. I remember my first year ever at camp, we left on Friday night instead of Saturday morning because we had a longer drive. You know, most churches, they leave Saturday morning. We left Friday night, and I will never forget my counselor. His name was Nate, and Nate was out, and he was probably winning someone to Christ after the service. And uh, I went and grabbed my stuff, and I went to our bus, and my buddy Chris, he gets on the, uh, this is the same guy, actually, that we were, like, elbowing people in the face. So it probably tells you a little bit about us. But <clears throat> anyway, so Chris, he, um, he comes over to me, and he says, hey, John, you'll never guess what I did with Nate's bed. And I went, what did you do with Nate's bed? Now, this is like 1030 at night. And he's like, I took his mattress and I hid it on top of where we have showers. It was like a separate building way off in the woods somewhere, like in the middle of the night. And he's like, he's never going to find it, bro. And I was like, oh, no. So Nate, you know, you can imagine as a counselor, okay, you've given up your summer to go serve God with your life, and you're here, and you're pouring your heart into these teenagers, John and Chris, who secretly hate your gut. No, I'm just kidding. And, um, you know, you're pouring your life out into them, and you're serving the Lord in ministry, and you get out there, and you're witnessing to this kid, and you lead him to Christ, and you're thinking, man, praise the Lord, this is such a great night, and you come back. Hey, guys, where's my bed? And you know what everybody in the room is going to say. Nobody's going to tell you it's up on the showers. They're going to be like, oh, I don't know. Or you got the worst one. The guy's going to be over there sleep, fake sleeping. <sighs> and then secretly he knows everything going on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, camp's a great place. I hope that you're enjoying it. I hope you're going to have a good time here. Take your Bible and let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to look at verse number 3 through verse number 6. I will try to be brief today. Try to be quick. I'll make you a deal. If you do a good job paying attention, we'll try to get you out of here early so you can have some free time, extra free time there. So we'll do that for you. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 3. As I travel around the country working with teenagers, I am more and more convinced than ever that there are massive, massive spiritual strongholds in the lives of teenagers around the country. I can tell you, and I'll share with you some stories here in this message, but I can tell you some stories of teenagers and what they're going through right now that would absolutely blow your mind. And so, 
as a teenager, when you have struggles and when you have difficulties and you have strongholds in your life, how do you deal with it? And what do you do? We're going to talk about that today. Paul addresses that here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. In verse number 3, the Bible says this. It says, for, we th- for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I have one question I want you to answer in your heart today, and that's simply this. Are you a captive or a conqueror? Are you a captive or a conqueror? Let's pray and ask the Lord's help in this message, and then we'll dive into God's Word. Father in heaven, Lord, I want to thank you for every teenager that's here. I want to thank you for many of them that have already made decisions for you this week. And God, I do pray that right now, um, Lord, you would take me and take the words that I'm going to say, and uh, Lord, just get me out of the way. Father, I pray that Jesus Christ would be seen. I pray that your word would be heard. I pray, Lord, that I wouldn't say anything I don't need to say, but Lord, would you give um, all of us in this room a heart to hear about how to deal with these things that so easily beset us, so easily destroy our lives. And God, would you um, right now just meet with us. Lord, we need you. There's some teenagers in this room right now who I know are going through very, very, very deep trials in their life. And God, I just pray that you give us wisdom as we look into your word. We love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you are probably familiar with the story of Louis Zamperini. Uh, they recently made a couple of movies about it, wrote a book called Unbroken. And uh, Louis Zamperini was an Olympic runner. He started running in high school and eventually qualified for the 1936 Berlin Olympics. And he went and represented the United States there in the 5,000-meter run uh, for our team. Just a few years after that, when World War II kicked up, Louis was, uh, joined the Army Air Force, and he was commissioned in 1941 as a bombardier officer there over the Pacific Ocean. He traveled uh, there on, on planes and, and would help out different types of bomber planes. He would work uh, on the plane and do different things there. And um, one day they were on a rescue mission, it was a simple rescue mission. And as Louis and his group of soldiers that were with him operating this plane, there would be several men inside this plane. They were flying. They were out over the Pacific Ocean, and all of a sudden there was a mechanical failure in the plane. The plane went down. And when the plane crash-landed in the Pacific Ocean, almost every single person in that plane was killed except for three. Louis and two other men. These Three men gathered into a life raft, and they survived, stranded in the middle of the Pacific Ocean for 47 days. They went through starvation, dehydration, hallucinations. It was unbelievable. In fact, the stress and problems that they went through while they were in the ocean was so great and so terrible, one of the men actually lost his life just while they were there. On the 46th day on the horizon, they spotted a small island. And with all the strength that they had left to muster, these two men, Louis and this other man, began to to paddle as fast as they could to get over to this island. On the 47th day, they washed up on shore, and this island that they had finally come to was controlled by the Japanese Navy, the enemy forces. 
Louis and his fellow soldier was taken as captives by the Japanese, but they were not taken to a regular prisoner of war camp. They were taken to a prison camp where they were not listed as prisoners of war officially. And for the next two years, Louis would spend his life in, uh, in and out of a couple different prison camps there in Japan, being tortured, beaten, starved, maimed, scourged, and honestly humiliated in ways you can't even imagine. It was absolutely horrible. And for two years, Louis lived as a captive in Japan. Finally, the war was ended, and Louis was set free, but if you read the book or maybe even watched the movie, you can tell the fact that Louis' life, when he got back to America after that time, was completely changed. He became an alcoholic. He became a drunk. He really wasted a lot of his life and struggled in so many different ways with depression and PS, um, PTSD. Uh, he, he just had these problems in his life. Now, no one here is a prisoner of war physically. Uh, nobody in this room right now is a prisoner of war uh, physically. And you may say, well, Brother John, listen, you haven't met my counselor, man. I mean, you want to talk about a pr- He treats me like a prisoner all the time. Uh, makes me clean my, be- my bed and my room. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, but nobody here is a f- prisoner of war physically. But I will tell you this. I, I'm not naive enough to believe that there aren't some teenagers sitting in this room right now who you are prisoners of war. You are captives in your own heart and in your own soul. There are people in this room right now who every single day of your life, you wake up and you look in the mirror and you hate what you see. You wish that you could overcome some of the struggles that you have. Bobby was a teenager in New Jersey, and he was a total, absolute video game junkie. His mom had passed away early in his life. He was bitter at God because of it, and literally he would spend um, all of his time, uh, every waking second of his life, playing video games. When he'd get home from school, he would walk in the door, go right past his dad, wouldn't even say hello, walk in his room, sit down on the couch, and play video games. And he escaped from reality because the world that he could not control, he hated. He was not a popular kid. He was not uh, athletic. He had, he had no abilities. And frankly, when he went to school, he hated life. And when he got home, he escaped his actual reality so he could go to a virtual one. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because that's where you are. Bobby was an addict to video games completely. Zach was a teenager in Florida who was completely addicted to pornography. He would try to quit over and over and over again, but he couldn't. He'd come to camp, he'd go to revival meetings, he'd hear messages preached on getting right with God, on getting clean, on dealing with purity, and he would go to the altar and he would say, God, please forgive me. God, I'll never do this again. God, I promise, I just need your help. Please just forgive me and take this sin away. And then he would get up off the altar and no sooner than a week would go by or two weeks would go by, he'd be back looking at the stuff again. I talked with Zach. And with tears coming down his eyes, he looked at me and he said, Brother John, I'm completely addicted. And I can't stop myself. Strongholds. Strongholds. Maria was a teenager in Wisconsin. She's molested by a family member in her early teen years. She struggled with bitterness towards all men, specifically her dad. When I asked her, I said, how's your relationship with your mom? On a scale of 1 to 10, she said it's probably about a 6 or a 7. I said, how's your relationship with your dad? She said a negative 2. I hate my dad. Now, her dad wasn't the one that committed the crime, but she had extreme bitterness against men in her life. She even began to struggle with homosexuality. All these people had two things in common, the people that I just listed for you. Number one, 
They were, they were teenagers just like you who lived their lives in complete and utter bondage to strongholds. They were teenagers just like you that literally every single day of their life would try to get rid of it, try to deal with it, try to escape it, but absolutely couldn't. But there's a second thing about them. Every one of these teenagers I just mentioned eventually experienced victory from their strongholds by the power of God's word and by the power of the Holy Spirit's working in their lives. Teenager, are you a captive or a conqueror today? Because there is no in-between. All of us in the room right now, you're either conquering for Jesus Christ and you are seeing victory in your life day in and day out and you are uh, taking steps of faith and growing in your walk with God or you're over here and you're a captive and you are completely taken in bondage by sin. You are held down. You are struggling, struggling, struggling and no matter what you do, you just can't get rid of your sin. You just can't deal with it. I want to tell you today, every single person in this room can become a conqueror through the power of God's word and by using the weapons that God has given us. If you're here today, listen, I have good news for you because the Bible says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. You can have hope today that you don't have to continue on in your sin. You don't have to continue on in bondage. You don't have to continue on in depression. You don't have to continue on struggling with porn. You don't have to continue on as an addict to social media or video games or whatever the case may be. Uh, Today, you can have victory and Jesus Christ wants to give it to you. You can become more than a conqueror. I'd like to look at two key components today that we need to understand if we're going to tear down spiritual strongholds in our life and become the conquerors that Jesus wants us to be. Number one, we see here the structure of a stronghold. The structure of a stronghold. In our text here, Paul describes uh, spiritual strongholds that Satan uses to make us captive to our sin instead of the conquerors that God wants us to be. In fact, in Romans 7.15, he says this. Paul gives his own testimony about this, and he says, For that which I do, I allow not. And that which I would, I do not. Then he makes these words, and I I, I so resonate with this in my own spirit because I've been there, and I'm sure many of you have too. He says, but that which I hate, that I do. He says, basically, the good things that I want to do, I'm not doing. And the the bad things that I don't want to do, I I continue to do. In fact, the the things I don't even allow other people to do, I preach about. Those are the things that I'm finding myself doing. And honestly, in all reality, that which I hate, that I do. Paul had a loathing in his spirit for his sin, but he found himself far too often being overcome by his spiritual strongholds. Is that anybody else in the room? Anybody else ever feel that way? Brother John, I just, I wish I could stop. I wish I could stop having these thoughts. I wish I could stop having these feelings. I wish I could overcome this, but I can't. But I can't. Paul says here in this passage, he says in verse number three, uh, there he says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And he starts with this phrase, casting down imaginations. Casting down imaginations. See, the first structure of a stronghold here that we're going to see is the foundation of hurt. Some of these subpoints are adapted from a book entitled Pure Desire, written by a man by the name Dr. Ted Roberts. And um, he, he says in this book, he says, I've counseled over a thousand men in deep sexual addiction. He's a pastor, Ted Roberts is a pastor, and he said, I've counseled literally over a thousand men in sexual addiction. And he said, and out of the men that I've counseled, out of the men that I've talked to, I can count on one hand the amount of men who did not have deep father wounds that affected and strengthened their addiction. One hand. Here's what that tells me. When 
Satan is going to set up a stronghold in our lives, he doesn't just start with the sin. You see, because if you think of a stronghold, and for this illustration, I'm going to think of a tower. So I want you to think, go kind of back to medieval times in your, your brain here, and you think of a tower that's standing in the middle of maybe an open field there. Uh, before you build a tower, you have to first lay down the foundation. And the foundation that Satan so oftentimes uses for us is a foundation of hurt, a foundation of hurt. You think about Absalom and David. Absalom was David's son. David was a man after God's own heart. He was the king of Israel. And and David uh, eventually had to banish Absalom from the kingdom of Israel for a while. And then through a series of circumstances, he invited Absalom to come back. And Absalom comes back to Israel and he gets there back to Jerusalem. He's back in the city, but David does not go and see Absalom for almost two years. David is far away from Absalom. He doesn't come back to, can you imagine being that son? Can you imagine there were some circumstances Absalom got himself in some trouble? He had actually forced the situation where he had to be exiled, but then he was brought back, and he's imagining all this time, he's going to Israel, and he's imagining, all right, my dad's bringing me back. Maybe there's hope for our relationship. Maybe everything will be forgiven. Maybe I'll be restored back to the place that I'm supposed to be. Maybe, maybe he'll bring me back into the castle, back into the kingdom, back into the palace, and I'll be able to do something. I'll be able to have a relationship with my dad, but no. For two years. Absalom is separated from David. Can you imagine the pain that he must have felt? And we wonder why, just a few years later, Absalom rebels against his father and leads an insurrection and tries to take the kingdom and kill him and wipe him out. In fact, the way that you see Absalom, the way that he treated even some of the women that were involved in David's life, just shows this deep bitterness towards his father. Teenagers, I'm talking to some of you in the room right now who know exactly what I'm talking about because you have a mom or you have a dad or maybe you just have a mentor in your life and there's deep wounds. There's deep wounds. I'm talking about teenagers here today who uh, maybe your, your father has said to you things like, you can never do anything right. You're worthless. You're trash. Talk to a young man named John. John was uh, a guy, his, his mom was uh, in jail and his dad literally lived on the streets as a drug addict. He said, the only time my dad ever calls me and tells me that he loves me, John was 18 years old. He had just turned 18 when I talked to him. He said, the only time my dad ever calls me and tells me that he loves me is when the next words out of his mouth are gonna be, hey son, can you come pick me up and help me, give me some money to buy some booze? 18 years old. And maybe that's not quite your situation, but I am ta- know that I'm talking to some teenagers who there are deep hurts in your life from a father figure. There are deep hurts in your life from a mother. There are deep hurts from somebody in your life that have gone so deep and they've created this hurt and this bitterness that you sense and that you feel. And just like Absalom, or maybe like Maria, you say, I hate my dad. I hate my mom. I won't forgive him for what they did for me. Hebrews 12.15 says this, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Thereby many be defiled. I spoke with a young man earlier this year who had very, very, very deep bitterness towards his dad. His, um, his name was Malachi, and uh, his um, father walked out on him when he was born. Uh, he had several brothers and sisters, and literally when Malachi was born, his dad just left the family and was gone. And so Malachi became a teenager, and it was his 16th birthday. And he said, you know, he went to his mom, and he said, the only thing I want for my 16th birthday is I'd like to just talk with my dad. 
His dad still lived in the same uh, general city that they lived in. It would not be a difficult thing for his dad to come over, but his dad had completely cut off communication with the family. And Malachi said, I, I would just like to, to get to spend some time with my dad. That's my present. That's what I want for my 16th birthday. So his mother got on Facebook and she looked up his father and messaged him. And she said, hey, your son Malachi, he's turning 16 in about a month. And He'd really like it if you came and just talked with him a little bit. You don't have to stay. You don't have to you know, say anything special. He just wants to at least know who you are. You know what that dad's response was? He messaged her back and he said, I don't want anything to do with your family and blocked her. Now, can you imagine being Malachi, 16-year-old? I talked to him when he was 17. And he said, Brother John, he goes, I don't even know if God really cares about me. I mean, why would God give me a dad that would hurt me that badly? And teenagers, I don't know what you're going through, but there are some of you in this room who you have deep, deep wounds. You have somebody in your life that has hurt you, somebody in your life that has said something, somebody in your life that has done something, and deep in your soul, there's a hurt. Listen, Satan wants to build a stronghold in your life, and it starts with a foundation of hurt. It starts with a foundation of hurt. And secondly, that foundation of hurt leads to the cement of sinful thinking. If you can imagine, again, our, our, our tower that we're talking about, uh, you think of a tower, it's got stone bricks in it, but then it's also held together by cement. And there's um, created here, when we deal with our, our strongholds, there's a cement of thinking that comes along with these hurts. The Bible says here, Paul says, um, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God of the pulling down strongholds. Then he gives the statement. He says, casting down imaginations. Imaginations. The word imaginations there is the word illogical logic. That's the idea there. It's basically logical reasoning that's not correct. Incorrect reasoning. You say, what are you talking about, Brother John? Here's what I mean. There are some of you in this room right now who have had deep hurts in your life. You've had deep, deep terrible wounds in your life. You have somebody said something to you, but the worst part about it is that you actually believed what they said. There's some of you here today who your dad has said, you are worthless. And because of that reason, you now have this belief in your core soul. Yes, I am. I'm worthless. That's what they said I am. So every time you fail in life and every time you have a problem that comes up in your life, you go back to this moment in your mind where you say, yep, see, I knew I was worthless because this and this and this. Yeah, see, I knew I was going to be this way because that's what they said. That's just who I am. Imaginations. Imaginations. One young man had a dad who walked out on him when he was little. His mom went through multiple marriages afterwards. I mean, just marriage after marriage after marriage. And those, she, I think it was about five or six marriages that she went through. And what he said was, every single one of my stepdads beat me. Every one of them. And he said that they would beat me. He said they would beat me for the dumbest things. He said, maybe they'd ask for a tool in the tool shop. And he said, my dad would come to me and, and he would say, hey, give me this tool. He said, I'd walk over and go to hand it to him and it wouldn't be the right one. He said, he would hit me. And he said, all the same time, this, these dads would say to me, you can't do anything right. You're just worthless. And he said, and so I grew up believing that I was worthless and I decided, you know what, I'm going to prove him wrong. So he went to the military. But he didn't find satisfaction there. Because in the military, he began to fail. And he began to struggle. He didn't have character or discipline. And as those things went on, and he began to struggle with these, these situations and these scenarios, it just cemented in his mind this feeling of worthlessness. 
And the more that he thought about it, the more worthless he felt. Paul says here, the Bible says that we need to cast down imaginations. Here's what that means. Teenagers, you may have an earthly father that has said to you, you're worthless, but you have a heavenly father that says you are very, very valuable. You may have an earthly father that says you can't do anything right, but you need to reject that from a lie from the pit of hell, and you need to look at the Bible because the Bible says in Philippians 4, it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. The Bible says that Christ is the hope of glory. He lives inside of us. In fact, the Bible says that he is able to do exceeding abundantly above uh, all that we can ask or think. The Bible says that, that God is the one that worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And listen, if you've had somebody here today that's told you that you're worthless, that told you that you can't do anything right, and you've got a feeling of, I will never be whatever they expect me to be. You don't need to be whatever they expect you to be. You need to be what Jesus Christ expects you to be, and that is simply a sinner saved by the grace of God. And if you're here today and you have a feeling of worthlessness and you have a feeling of hurt and you have bitterness in your soul and you're torn up because of what somebody has said to you or somebody has done to you, listen, that does not label you. Maybe some of you are here, and and I hope that this is no one in the room, but if it is, maybe some of you are here today and you would say, Brother John, I've been abused. I've had that happen. I've had something terrible like that go through in my life. And honestly, I don't understand completely what you're going through. But what I can tell you here today is you can find hope in your soul, in Jesus Christ, that that is not who you are. The Bible says, but such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified. Here's the bottom line. When Christ looks at you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see the wrong things that you've done. He doesn't see the failures. What he sees is the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And you need to get a hold of that if you're ever going to make it. Today, what you need to do is you need to reject the lies, reject the hurts, reject the bitterness and say, no, that's not what God says about me. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter what they do. It doesn't matter what somebody else thinks about me because the Bible says that I'm valuable. The Bible says that I'm of great worth. The Bible says, listen, folks, the Bible says that you are so uh, valuable to God that Jesus Christ came and died for you. The Son of God came and died for you, specifically. We need to reject this thinking because once that cement of sinful thinking takes place, it leads to the bricks of besetting sin. The Bible describes this here. It says, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The words high thing here would be the idea of really it's besetting sins. It's, uh, Ted Roberts in his book, he describes it as coping mechanisms. A coping mechanism is simply this. It's anything I turn to outside of God to deal with stress, boredom, pressure, failure, sorrow, whatever. And anything that we turn to outside of the grace of God and the love of God to try to deal with our problems in our life, that's a high thing in our life. So let me give you an example. Maybe you're here today and uh, you would say, well, you know, uh, frankly, I would, I, maybe you talk with somebody, well, would, I, you know what, I'll just give you a real life example. Uh, I talked to the young man not too long ago. I sat down with him and I said, okay, you're addicted to pornography. He said, yes, I am. I said, when do you look at it? And he said, when I feel like trash. He said, when I go through a day and I, I feel like I'm stressed out and I feel like there's too much pressure and I'm trying to figure everything out. He said, I get home and I just, I need something to try to feel better. And so I just, that's when I do it. I said, and I turned to it. I said, well, how do you feel afterwards? I said, I feel even more worthless. And it just creates this cycle of shame. And then he begins to think, well, I knew I was worthless. That's why I'm doing this. 
You see, once that cement of sinful thinking has set in, Satan begins to build bricks of besetting sin, and he begins to put things in our hearts and our lives that take us captive. You see, God never intended for you to turn to those things in times of struggle. God intended for you to turn to him. How many of the room like steak? Anybody willing to raise their hand on that? You like steak? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you like fried chicken? That would be my thing. Um, fried chicken, that's definitely my deal. Uh, let me see here. How many about, uh, how about pizza? Anybody like pizza in the room? Some excited people? Okay, that was actually more hands than steak or chicken. That's crazy. You must be teenagers. Um, but uh, uh, how many of you like Chick-fil-A? Let me get an amen on that. Okay, good, good, good. I got one more question. How many of you like strawberries? Anybody in the room like fresh strawberries? Yeah, you go. Now, in California, where I went to college, we've got, we've got a strawberry festival, and you can go, and you can get some of the sweetest, freshest strawberries you can ever imagine. Now, I want you to imagine something for just a second with me. Imagine that you were looking today at just a bowl of beautiful, fresh-picked, juicy strawberries. Now, I know y'all just ate lunch, all right, so I'm not trying to make it happen again, but, you know, you got just beautiful, fresh-picked awesome strawberries. And then somebody walks up to you and they say, hey man, here, I, I got an extra candy bar from the snack shop and I'm just going to get rid of it. So here, why don't you take it? And now you got a Snickers bar. Snickers or strawberries? Snickers or strawberries? Some of you are picking the right thing. All right, all right. So you're, you're going through this debate. Well, you decide, you know what, why can't I just have both, right? Like I can do this. Blah, blah. And um, so you take a big bite of that Snickers bar and what happens? I mean, there's like a flavor explosion going on in your mouth, man. I mean, you just got, you got, uh, you got chocolate and high fructose corn syrup and artificial uh, sugar and just trash going right in your, right in your mouth. And, uh, and it's awesome. And you're like, man, this is so good. I never knew eating trash could be so great. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, you know, you're eating because, because Snickers are trash and Hershey's aren't. No, anyway. Um, um, so another, another story for another day. But you put this stuff in your mouth and you begin to eat it. And all of a sudden, what happens? You get this rush of artificial fake sugar. And then you look at that strawberries. And they don't look so good anymore. Why? Because what you just did is you just substituted the sugar that God made that's real. And you replaced it with something fake. Our bodies are amazing things. And we have a chemical in our brain called dopamine. Maybe some of you know what that is, maybe some of you don't. Basically, dopamine is, our, is it's a chemical that makes us feel pleasure. So, for instance, when you look at a bowl of juicy strawberries or you look at a brand new, you know, uh, fresh cut, fresh grilled steak and, uh, and your mouth starts watering and you begin to feel that, you eat it, you put it in your mouth, man, it just feels so great. That would be dopamine going to your brain. When you uh, when you when you're out on the field on the court basketball court and you're dribbling down and you you know you make a three point shot right at the buzzer and you just get this high and all of a sudden you get this feeling of man that's awesome I'm so that's just so great dopamine. Oftentimes, for ladies, this occurs when you go and buy a new outfit. You know, you go to the store and uh, it's true, really it is. And you go and you buy a new dress or you know for Easter or something like that, and you you get to wear it and you just feel like man, I just feel great. You know, guys don't have that problem. We don't we don't usually feel very good. In fact, if anything, honestly, I feel worse when I buy new clothes because I have less money. So um so that's kind of how I feel about it. Uh, my wife is not that way necessarily, but that's how men are. Um so little tip there for when you get married one day. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, um but you, you know you get that you get that high, you get that sensation. When you look at pornography, you flood your brain with dopamine. In fact, you flood your brain with so much dopamine that you almost blow out your dopamine receptors. 
basically, it's so much that your brain like can't handle it. And so what happens is your brain is amazing, so it adjusts for that amount of that chemical that you have. Which means, in order to get the same high, you have to have even more dopamine the next time. And then you have to have even more dopamine the next time. And the next time, and the next time, and the next time. And what happens is, as you begin to do this, your brain, your prefrontal cortex, which is basically the brakes on you, uh, what stops you from making a bad decision, like when your buddy says to you, hey, let's, um, uh, let's go jump off the top of the roof, you know, that'd be really cool, right? And uh, you guys get up there, and then there's something in your brain that says, oh, it's probably not a good idea. You'll probably like break or something. I think you should stop before you do that. Uh, so that part of your brain, that now it's not, now honestly, with, with, with teenagers, it's not fully developed um, yet. So some of you don't have very good breaks. We know that. We've seen it this week. But, um, uh, but you know, uh, hashtag every guy that jumped today when they got hit by a big ball and thrown into a pole. Um, but but, you know, so that you don't have good breaks in your yet. So you're, you know, you're there and, and you, um, uh, you, you, you have that, that prefrontal cortex. Well, as that dopamine continues to, to grow in your brain and you need more and more and more of it, your prefrontal cortex or your will begins to shrink. And you can actually take an MRI scan, a CAT scan of a porn addict's brain, and you can put it right next to a CAT scan of a crack addict's brain, and they are exactly the same. Let me say that again. To the teenagers in this room right now who look at dirty trash on the internet every single day and you can't go more than three or four days without looking at it and you're completely addicted to pornography, if we were to take a look at your brain, it would be in the same awful shape as a drug addict because you are addicted. Can I say this too? This doesn't just go for porn. This goes for social media. This goes for video games. Frankly, this goes for anything that you look to, uh, YouTube videos. This goes for anything that you look to to try to get a high in life, to try to deal with the problems of your life, to deal with stress, to blow off, to get some relief, to whatever the case may be, so that you can go on and, and feel a little bit better. But the problem is, instead of turning to God and His grace and His God-made solutions, you turn to cheap substitutes. And you turn to high things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. Hey, listen, teenager, if you're up till 2 a.m. every single night playing Fortnite, I'm going to be honest with you, you're an addict. And some of you are laughing right now, but I would tell you I've seen teenagers all over the country and I've talked with them who break down because of the fact that they are absolutely addicted and their life is ruined. They fail classes. They stray away from relationships. They hurt themselves because they're addicts. There's somebody in this room today who is killing you, absolutely killing you that you haven't had your cell phone for three days. And you're dying inside. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. I know this sounds crazy. It's not. You're an addict. You're an addict. And it's a high thing. I have a video, and I, I can't play it right now. We don't have time, but um, it's of a man named Simon Sinek, and he's an unsaved lost man. Look it up sometime. Simon Sinek, he did a TED Talk about millennials and social media, and here's what he said. He said, the dopamine rush that you get when you get a new text, or you get a new like on Facebook, or you get a new, you know, somebody follows you on Instagram, or whatever the case may be, the dopamine uh, flood that you get when that happens, he said, that's the same idea as when you go out and you get drunk. Simon Sinek, an unsaved, lost man, made this statement. He said, we have requirements on cigarettes. We have requirements on prescription drugs of age. We have requirements of age on, um, 
on, on drinking, but we don't have any requirements of age on cell phones. And we have an entire generation of young people that are absolutely 100% hooked on their technology and are turning to it instead of turning to God. Guys, this is a big deal. And if you're here today and there's a foundation of hurt in your life, there's some sinful thoughts that have come into play, I'm worthless, I'm no good. I want to tell you there are some of you here today that that's led to besetting sins and you are absolutely addicted. Maybe it's pornography, maybe it's social media, maybe it's technology, maybe it's just anger, maybe it's bitterness. I don't know. But anything you turn to outside of the grace of God to deal with your issues is a high thing. You see, because the Bible says it exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Here's the idea. Here's how God designed it. God designed it when your world falls, falls apart and everything goes wrong and, and, and God forbid this happens, but a parent walks out of your life and everything is crashing down around you and it seems like nothing is going right. In that moment, God designed it that you would go to him and you would say, God, you're my refuge. God, you're my strength. God, I need you. And then his grace would come and it would supply your need. And here's what would happen. In that moment, when his grace would come and supply your need, you would grow in your experiential knowledge of God. Some of you have no experiential knowledge of God because you've never once turned to him in times of trouble. You've turned to something else to deal with it. The truth is, as we ask this question all the time, we say, hey, how, do, how, how well do you know God? How well is your relationship with God? How close are you with your heavenly father? And the truth is you're not because you're always looking to social media to solve your problems. You go online and you post about something that happened, about a problem, and you're looking to all your friends to comment about it or talk to you about it or fix the issue. And the truth is, is that you can't look to your friends. You can't even look to just people in general. You have to look to God. And when you look to God in those moments of trial, you look to God in those moments of struggle, he begins to build your experience of grace. And you begin to know him better. There's some of you this week that have made decisions for Jesus Christ and you're getting to know God better. And I'm so thankful for that. You say, Brother John, how do I know that I have a high thing in my life? Well, that leads us to this final point here in this first point, which would be the camouflage of sinful behavior. I have to hurry, but the camouflage of sinful behavior. The final part of the stronghold, it starts with a foundation of hurt. It leads to cement of sinful thinking. That leads to bricks of besetting sin. But finally, and probably the most dangerous part of the stronghold that's set up is the camouflage that we put on. You say, how do I know that I have a stronghold, Brother John? How do I know that I have something like that going on in my life? It's very simple. You don't tell anybody else about it. I guarantee you there's not a teenager in this room that, uh, that failed a class last semester because they were um, staying up really late every single night playing video games or looking at stuff on the internet, and you don't walk down the next morning to your parents at breakfast and say, hey, Mom and Dad, guess what I was up till 2 a.m. last night doing? Nobody says that. Why? Because you don't want anyone else to know. There's somebody in this room who you say, well, Brother John, you know, what I look at on the internet is really not that bad. Oh, yeah? Would you be willing to put it up on the screen for all of us to see? If the answer to that's absolutely not, listen, you got a problem. There's some of you in this room today who, uh, the truth is what you post on social media, you keep it private and you hope that no one else ever finds out about it. That's an issue. I'm talking about guys and girls that send pictures of themselves or inappropriate pictures and inappropriate text messages to each other and you hide your phone because you hope my parents will never find it. You're always clear, clearing your, your history browser. You're always trying to wash away different little things. You have a camouflage on because you're hoping that no one else will find out. Listen, that's the final part of the stronghold because once Satan has you hiding it, he's got you. 
because now you have something to lose. And it just continues on the cycle over and over and over and over and over again. That leads to a foundation of hurt and you get a feeling of worthlessness and then you go back into your sin and then you cover up your sin and you feel so ashamed of what you've done that you go back to the beginning and you get these feelings of worthlessness again. And you feel like, well, you know, I, I mean, sure I'm worthless, sure I'm trash, sure I'm whatever. And it goes back to more besetting sin, more coping mechanisms, more high things to try to deal with your, your feelings of shame, which leads to more feelings of shame and camouflage. And it just goes on and on and on and on and on until eventually one of two things happens. Either number one, you get so sick of it that you can't take it anymore and you come clean, or number two, you get found out. God forbid that anybody in the room would have to get found out. See, the Bible says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Listen, friend, that's not just talking about confessing and forsaking your sin to God because you can't hide sin. You can't cover sin from an all-seeing, all-knowing, ever-present God. It's talking about covering your sin from people who love you. And I'm talking to some teenagers in the room who you need to make a beeline to your youth pastor. You need to make a phone call to your mom or dad when you get out of this room and you need to say, Mom, Dad, this is all the trash I've been doing. This is all the stuff I've been looking at. This is what's going on. I'm going to hurry just to be done here. We've got, I, I, don't, I wish I had more time to go through some of these things, but... Number one, we see, first of all, the structure of a stronghold, but number two, we see the weapons of our warfare. Okay, Brother John, listen, I don't want to, to be uh, captive by the stronghold anymore. I don't want to live my life in bondage. What do I do? I've asked myself that question a hundred times. Sometimes you feel like you just don't know what to do. But the Bible makes it clear here. Paul says at the very beginning of this passage, he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare their second point here the weapons of our warfare number one they're not carnal and number two they're mighty through god in ephesians chapter six we're given a listing of the armor of god and the only piece of the armor that is offensive is the sword of the spirit ephesians six seventeen says and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of god hebrews four twelve says for the word of god is quick and powerful and sharper than any sword piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart Listen, the weapon that you have to overcome strongholds in your life, it's not a filter on your phone, although those are good things. It's not an accountability partner, although that's a good thing. It's not anything other than the weapon that God has given you, the Word of God. Every person in this room right now, probably, I would imagine every single one of us today have a copy of, of the Word of God in our hand. And listen, you say, okay, Brother John, I'm going to tear down the stronghold. What do I need to do? It's very simple. What you need to do is you need to allow God, the Spirit of God, to take the Word of God, and you need to allow Him to apply it to every single part of the stronghold. So here's what that means. That means you start over here with the camouflage. And you say, okay, Bible says if I cover my sin, I'm not going to prosper. So what am I going to do? I'm going to get rid of the camouflage. I'm coming clean to the people that need to know. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what it takes. I'm making a beeline. I'm emptying the truck. I'm telling them everything that's going on. You take God's word and you apply it to that part. The next, you go to the besetting sin. Okay, God, is there anything in my life that you want me to get rid of? Because I'll do it. God, I'll get rid of my music if you want me to. God, I'll get rid of my, I'll, get, I'll delete my social media site if you want me to. 
God, I'll get rid of my cell phone if you want me to. God, if there's any part of my life that you want me to get rid of, I will do it. I remember when I was a teenager and my, uh, probably my junior year in high school and God deeply convicted me about the movies and television shows that I was watching. You know what I did? I went home, I took my television out of my room, I went to my parents and I said, you can sell this or give it away to a pawn shop, I don't want it anymore. That's what I did. And it's not because I was a spiritual giant, but it's because what God was doing was God was convicting me in my heart and he was saying, John, listen, if you're ever gonna live for me, then there's gonna be some things in your life that have to go. And I said, okay, God, take it. God, take it. Some of you need to say, okay, God, whatever you want. Listen, if there's anything in your life right now that you're not willing to let go of for Jesus Christ, you've got a stronghold. Take God's word, apply it there. Then we move over to the cement of sinful thinking. God, I feel worthless right now. God, I feel like I'm never going to measure up. God, I feel like I'm never going to be able to get out of this. But that's not what you say. And begin to memorize scripture and quote to yourself some things. Listen, the Bible says, Reckon ye also yourself to be dead indeed into sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the less thereof. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but, uh, but unto God as those that are alive from the dead. Listen, you need to take some scripture. You need to put it in your heart. And you need to say, okay, God, that, that sinful thinking that comes up, those imaginations that I have about who I am or what I've done, I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna take your word and not somebody else's. I'm gonna apply your word to my heart and I'm gonna say, okay, God, you do it. I am what you say I am. And then finally, you allow God to take his word and go to the deepest part of your heart, the hurt. Hey, everybody look up here for me for just a second. We're almost done. You allow God to take his word and go to the deepest part of your heart and say, God, this person said this. This person did this. And I don't know how I could ever heal but the Bible says that you're the one who has healing in his wings. The Bible says that you came to heal the brokenhearted, to set the captive free. And so God, I'm letting you in to the deepest part of my heart. And God, you can tear up that foundation of hurt. God, you can have it. And I'm gonna look for your grace, and I'm gonna look for your mercy, and I'm gonna look for your cleansing, and I'm gonna let you have it all. Teenager, you have two choices. You can continue going on and being a captive. And some of you are, frankly, right now, I can just tell you've been listening to me this whole message and you're thinking, Brother John, I'm not a captive. <laughs> Whatever you're talking about, that's not really sin. That's not really an issue for me. Listen, you're probably the person that needs to hear the message the most. You can allow sin to continue to take you captive. You can allow Satan to set up those strongholds or... You can take the weapons of our warfare that God has given you that are not carnal, but they're mighty through God. And you can take the word of God and allow God to open up your heart and deal with every single part of your stronghold, starting with the camouflage, going all the way over to the foundation of hurt. And you can say, God, you tear the stronghold down and I'm looking to you to do it. And if you do that, you will be amazed what God can do. I will never forget as long as I live meeting Cody. Cody was 17 years old. He had looked at porn every single day for the last five years of his life, and he was just broken. Cody was weeping, crying, and he was asking, he was saying, John, I don't even know how I'm ever going to overcome this. 
and we prayed together. I shared with him some of the verses I've shared with you. You know what happened in Cody's life? He found victory, and he got clean. I'm not talking clean for a week or two. I'm talking 100% clean. Not just to the point where he didn't look at it anymore, but he didn't even want to look at it anymore. Teenager, that can be you. That can be you. Are you a conqueror or a captive? Because Christ can make you more than conquerors. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Southland Podcast. May the message you've just heard be truth that transforms your heart and life. Christ loves you and wants you to grow in His grace through salvation and sanctification. If you've never placed your faith and trust in the finished work of Christ, we'd love to talk to you personally. Please give us a call at 318-894-9154 or shoot me an email at mherpster at southlandcamp.org. Christ has promised eternal life and a life worth living if you will only believe in Him. May the Lord bless you in your pursuit of Christ-like living. Tune in next time right here for another message on the Southland Podcast.